right, you guys. I'm here with Terry Albright, and he is a crypto um, cryptologist. Like, he studies Bigfoot. He's into UFOs. He's a researcher. He's had government clearance. He's he's a man of many amazing things. So, hello, Terry. <laughs> Hi, Nikiana. Shall I call you Nikiana or Nikki? Just Nikki is fine. Yeah. Nikki sounds, I can say that easier. <laughs> yeah, like in, in, Nikki Anna Jones, that's just like Indiana, Indiana Jones. It's my name is Nikki, but yeah. Um, well, I, I forgot to tell you that my whole family is Jones. Oh. My grandmother Wiley was originally a Jones. My Aunt Nell was a Jones. Uncle George Jones. Jerry Jones, who is my cousin, is the mayor of Norton, Kansas. So all the Jones family, I don't know, we might be related. Well, there you go. <laughs> I like the Jones thing. <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, yeah, my name, my last name's not Jones. I just like it. I'm just like, literally was like, yeah, I kind of, I'm like a girl, Indiana Jones-ish. So there you go. <laughs> well, well, you seem to be, you travel enough. Yeah, I definitely do the traveling thing, which is. I, I wish I could, I should, I want to go on some of those trips with you. I, I plan on having tours and things in, in the future. I really do. I mean, I got to kind of wait till the you know, world's not completely crazy anymore, like if that ever happens, or even if it does, but, um, uh, but yes, stay tuned for that, because there will, there will be tours coming up. Um, yeah, okay, so tell us about, well, golly, okay, let, let's get into your, you, you used to work at Area 51, are you, well, you've been to Area 51, how about that, he's a person it, who's actually been. Well, what, let me just start from the beginning, which will kind of give people an idea of what, what went on. And it brings some of the people that they would know into the loop as well. Okay. I actually came out to California to sing with the Young Americans, the singing group. And while I was doing that, I needed to be working because I didn't want to, be get, want to get drafted. So I began working for Computer Sciences Corporation, which contracts which is contracted by edwards air force base the navy uh jpl nasa to to do computer work and other other incidentals that come up well i started out as a courier which meant that i had to have clearance to get into every base in the country basically so they cleared me for secret and began working on clearing the higher crypto and as they began working on that, I, I began working on the computer down at the Navy base, and they liked me, so they put me on another project, which was analyzing film footage that would come in from Morris Dam. They were doing torpedo testing there. They were adding some rather interesting items to the end of torpedoes. And so I was looking at the strip film, which is strip film. It's about four inches wide, and it runs across a a giant machine that I watch and I, I record propeller shaft speed, our, uh, angle, yaw, that, that, that entire film capture, it captures all of that on film. Okay. So what they do is they get the film running and as soon as the film is up to speed, they shoot the torpedo, they fire the torpedo and then it's filmed and then I get it back and I have to do all of the calibration of all of those those items. And so I began doing that and they found out that I was doing that at NASA and JPL. And they said, well, they contacted my CEO 
And they said, can you have him do some other things? And he said, well, I suppose. Well, it was basically done on a need to know. And even though I had my secret clearance, they, I was actually working on stuff that was above secret because it was a need to know only and my and my ceo was the only person who knew that i was getting this stuff from jpl and nasa so i was working on that crazy stuff and i would see anomalies that i had to airbrush out wow. or i would have to send them back to jpl and have them airbrush them out and what i was seeing nikki were things that were so similar to the Tic Tacs and other craft that we're seeing today that the Navy is photographing and they're finally talking about. Those things, I was seeing those things in, this was in 1970 that I was doing this. So I was seeing these things in 1970 and all through the 70s actually. So that's how I got involved in, in that kind of thing. So do you think that the, the Tic Tacs in particular, in this particular instance, like, do you think that they were um, government made? Like, do you think they belonged to ours? Or do you think that it was literally like um, they were checking up on testing the torpedoes? I really don't think that anything we had at that time, and, and I was working with Stanton Friedman, the nuclear physicist at the time. He actually contacted me after he saw an article in the paper about me. And so we, we got together and began working together in 1970. And Stanton knew of nothing that we had that could do what these things were doing. No, nothing that we had that could perform in that way. And I had never seen anything working around the people I worked around. And I had to, I had to literally go to Area 51. So you know I was around some people who were working on state of the art, okay? Mm -hmm. It was, everything was compartmentalized. So I didn't know a whole lot about what went on at Area 51 as a whole, but I knew where I had to go and what I had to do. And the people that I was dealing with were working on various things, which are still under my NDA. But uh, nonetheless, I knew, I knew pretty much what we had going on. And I didn't see anything that I was looking at on the strip film that we could do. There were, there were things that were there that I was seeing, not only, not only uh, orbital, suborbital, but also uh, between us and the moon, between us and other planets. Because I, I had some of that stuff too. And, and uh, frankly, I, I don't believe that there's any way that we had anything that was capable of doing what these things were doing. Okay. Yeah, okay. That's, I was just, I mean, like, that's sort of like my line of thinking, too, but I just wanted to make sure we were on the same page with that, because, like, you know, some people are like, no, the government's been working on that stuff forever. It's like stuff they've reverse engineered, which maybe, I don't know, but um, well, they do seem to have a lot of reports of them being around testing of, you know, missiles, nukes, torpedoes, bombs, like, whatever. Well, there have been several, several cases where they have shut down an entire entire computer bank at a, at a missile launch site so we know that they have been doing that kind of thing they're capable of doing it apparently and these are these come from from military people who are not nuts i mean these guys would be outside and something would hover and and lo and behold the entire computer bank would shut down all the missiles would shut off well they would all turn on 
and then turn off again. So things like that have been happening for years, but it's been ignored by the mainstream media because no one believes that UFOs are real, you know? But I mean, you talk about, about what we were doing, what the government was doing, what other, other governments might've been doing. In, in the 1700s, 1800s, 1900s, early 1900s, we definitely had nothing that, would, that was capable of doing these things. So the, the things that were being seen then were not governments. There's just no way. Right. Those had to be either extraterrestrial or from another terrestrial breakaway civilization or something race right like like an atlantis type civilization or something i just don't believe that we were we were capable of doing any of the things that were happening and i don't think that we're capable of doing the things that are going on now that we're photographing there's no way that we are capable of 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 creating the kind of speeds in the movement that we're seeing on video so, okay, like, did you ever hear about any, like, where you would get the video from? Did you ever hear about people who literally saw this with their naked eye? Or is it mainly like it would only get picked up on the film? No, we saw, we, we, I got a lot of stuff that was seen by the naked eye. People who would film this stuff would also see it. And what you have to understand, I was getting stuff from, from uh, satellite and from recon aircraft. That's the, the primary stuff I was getting. And we were getting stuff between the earth and the satellite. And we were also getting low orbital stuff from the recon aircraft. So we were seeing, we were seeing all of the above, but we would also get footage from military who would capture the, the, the UFO or whatever on film from the ground as it was over them or we'd get it from from uh f-16 or whatever that would be flying and and would get it close enough that, that it was almost a, it was a, it was an eye it was a visual naked eye and also a camera capture and also a radar capture so we'd have we'd have three or four different sources that were getting this stuff and, and recording this stuff so we knew that we were we were getting legitimate things Okay, so you're you're getting these like legitimate awesome things. You're getting to look at it firsthand, but you can't talk about it at the time. And w what was the general consensus? Like, what would you guys say to each other? Like, what the hell? I mean, like, what like who? <laughs> what were you concluding at the time? You know. Well, those are those that I talked with. We knew that there was a UFO type craft. No one at that time still. The same way we are today. No one really can say what these things are today. No one really has their their finger on the pulse. But in the day, back in the back in the seventies, uh, well, even before, I was working with different ones even prior to that. Like Alan Hynek and I touched base on a, like in '65. Alan Hynek, uh, Stanton Friedman, other others that worked in the field, and everyone was of the mind that these were probably, you know, the, the, the simplest answer, right? Occam's rule. The simplest answer is that they are extraterrestrial because we just don't have anything that can do that. Right. I mean, when you look at it from that standpoint, that's the simplest answer. But it is interesting though, because you have 
they're it's pervasive like you have a lot of examples of it you know that are that you are coming across so then that makes me that that the, like i've been looking into ufos for many many years and i've i've finally gotten away from the they're coming from alpha centauri here or way up and they come in and it takes them seven minutes i don't know i now i think like they're here they're here already where i mean that's fine if they're from wherever they're at but i don't think that they're they're going back to their home planet and then coming back here all the time. Like I, whatever is here is a presence that's, I don't know where they hide out. Like that's, we could talk about where they might hide out or what they're doing or if they're interdimensional or what, or invisibility cloaks. Well, or I don't really know, but they well, are here and on earth. Well, I think that there, there was some interdimensional going on because what Dorothy Isaac was photographing, some of that had to be interdimensional. Some of the photographs that she she got had to be interdimensional. Um, so let's go into her. Like you knew her okay. in real life, right? Well, I I've, I started talking with her. Whew. We did her. I think her show was in '95 or something like that. We I started talking to her like a year before that. I I first came in contact with Dorothy Isaac. Peter Gatello, my partner who did the physical writing of the book. Cause so I was off doing, I was working on back to the future. I did all, all of those and we had other things going on and I was working in the film industry. So I didn't really have the time. So I kind of gathered the material and, and passed it on to Peter. And we kind of had a, uh, we kind of walked away from each other for a while because it kind of got rough between us. So during the time we were away, Peter started working on the book and I said, fine, go do that. I'll go do my thing. Uh, he later called me back and said, help, <laughs> this, the book isn't moving. You've got to get this going. Anyway, long story short, I, I began talking to Dorothy about 91 or two. I don't know. I don't recall exactly what year it was, but quite some time before we actually brought her onto the TV show sightings. And as Dorothy and I talked, I learned so much about what she was seeing and hearing and capturing on film and i hadn't seen a lot of it so she sent me a videotape and when i saw it i just went oh this is mind-blowing stuff this is amazing stuff yeah and she so was to getting... paraphrase for those of you who don't know who she is like i guess like we, a, a summary a quick summary of her was be um i don't know where she was living but she basically would capture... vancouver she was living in vancouver okay and yeah. she was um uh, when did this happen to her? Like in her late sixties or something? Is that when it started for her? Started for her, yeah, around that time. She she's been photographing for about thirty years when we when we talked to her. So she had been been doing it for a long, long time. Yeah, she it, was using an eight millimeter camera. She so. and there's a there's a documentary that I saw of how I got introduced to her was I watched a doc the documentary capturing the light and it and it gives like a snapshot of sort of some of the the anomalies that she was catching with her eight millimeter. And they had a lot of naysayers and, and then eventually her children even came around to believing her and stuff. And so, well, yeah, so go ahead. Well, yeah, it was capturing the light is all of our information that Frank Longo took and, and developed into a film. So we introduced him to Dorothy and got him going on that, introduced him to the family and everything. And yeah, the family, the only person that believed her was her granddaughter. Everyone else thought she was out of her mind so until they sat and watched the video in the, in the living room 
and saw the UFO behind Dorothy's daughter in the window, up until that point, they were non-believers. They did. They absolutely thought she was out of her mind. But Dorothy was was capturing so much on film. She was being taught on her bedroom ceiling. They would show her things that she could put to use in her own life. And they would show her how she fit into the entire scheme of things. And they would show her, they would give her history lessons, how, how the world had evolved from beginning to where it's going. So okay, Dorothy was being taught. Okay, not talk about that. So that's interesting. Well, Dorothy's been, he, she's, there's a lot more that is, is that we haven't told anybody yet. We're still working on, on, I've got seven or eight videotapes that Dorothy sent me that I, we haven't gotten digitalized yet. So it's still on VHS and I'm in the process now. Uh, that's why I'm working so hard on getting my studio set up. I'm getting that all set up so I can get all of that digitalized. And all of this information that's on these seven or eight videotapes that are totally full of anomalies that Dorothy captured, that she had transferred from eight millimeter eight millimeter to VHS, and I've got those right here within within arm's reach, actually, Nikki. So wow, that's cool. we're in the process of getting that together, and as we do that, uh, Bruce Holmes, our publisher, is going to be putting out an all color book. Instead of the black and white book, Contact with Beings of Light was a paperback and it's all black and white, but now we're putting out an all color version. So that'll be interesting too, to see all the stuff that we, we didn't have to begin with for the, the first book, we're now gonna have in the second book in color. So that's gonna be a lot better. Yeah, and she would know when they were coming. Like she would know when to get her camera. She would know when it was about to start. Believe it or not, I get the same feelings in my ears. I've been having, I don't, don't know if I told I you I get this the ringing in my ears, the different tonal ringing, is that kind of thing? I get? get, well, I get that too, but it's usually after I get what feels like a pressure imbalance, but it's not really. Yes. I get, you know like, what I mean? It feels like you're diving, like you're you're diving underwater and it, there's like a boom or like a wong and it, yeah. Well, the, I, get, I get that, which, and it's also, it, with me, it's also a thing that you would, if you didn't know better, you'd think it was, you were, you're climbing a mountain somewhere and you were getting, you were like getting, your ears, your ears were being stepped up. Right, right, right. But it's, it doesn't do that. It just, it just goes silent, very weirdly silent in either, either one of my ears, right or my left. It happens at different times. Yeah. And it doesn't happen. It hadn't happened for a while. And, and I thought, well, what's going on and why has this happened? Then just the other day, I had an overwhelming sensation of that. And I went, whoa, that was really strong. I what started, was it? Now that's what Dorothy. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I started like correlating that with the Schumann resonance, or at least I've been trying to look at the daily. I, like I've, for a couple of years now, I've been looking at whenever there's big whiteouts in the Schumann resonance, I've noticed I hear more ringing. So you might look and see if there's any correlation with you on that. Well, there is, there is, I, I always look at that kind of thing. I always check to see if anything is, has, is, if anything correlates because I'm into the resonances and the frequencies, which you don't know about, but you'd get a kick out of some of the stuff I'd do with that too. Uh, I'll send you some pictures, cool. but the, 
what Dorothy was telling me and what I've seen on another video that she that she had out, I don't know if it was on Unsolved Mysteries or what it was, but uh, a young man came over to, to interview her and she told him about this. He, he asked her actually, what's with this imbalance of pressures in my ears or this buzzing or whatever? And she goes, oh, they're trying to let you know that they're outside and you need to grab your camera and get out there. And about the time she said that, he felt this in his ears at Dorothy's house in her living room. So they went out to the, out to the porch and he's looking up and he goes, I don't see anything. And he goes, she goes, Oh no, no, look over here where I'm looking. And lo and behold, there was a UFO, a solid UFO. So I'm, I'm going by what Dorothy tells me. And, and I've never got, I've never been steered wrong by Dorothy. Everything she's ever told me, not only do I feel it psychically that it's that it's true, but it's proven it's been proven to be true in things that I have learned about her as as time went on and in her photographs and, and that kind of thing. I've learned that she has been telling me the truth all the time. And so when she tells me to, to pay attention to this feeling in my ears, I can only call it a feeling because it's not really a physical thing. Okay, it's a it's a it's a sensation better, more than anything else. I get this and I grab my camera, I go outside and I begin to photograph where I think I should in the sky. It's kind of an intuitive thing. And lo and behold, I get things every time I do that. Some really cool things. So, so you're, you've been filming some cool stuff for your own self. Yeah, I, I, there's no doubt to me that, that Dorothy passed us the torch. I mean, we have had occurrences when we've been out in the desert together with Peter Gutello, myself, the families. Uh, we have had lights flash on us that lit up the entire campground. And we know it wasn't something that was like a helicopter or an aircraft or whatever. This thing was, was from almost orbit, if not orbit, uh, would flash on us and light up the entire campground. And we'd go, oh, my God. And then it would blink out immediately. And we'd see a craft going off in the, in the distance. So... Would we that have, scare you, or were you cool with that? Oh, no. no. Are you kidding? I don't get scared by that kind of thing. I think it's great. I mean, I, Peter talks with me about, about the times that they've been out with other people on, on Bigfoot expeditions here and there. And apparently, one person he was with, uh, one of the Sasquatch had come, come around a corner, and this person saw it and screamed and ran and I said good lord I'd have been chasing it I mean that's the way I am I would I would be after these things they don't bother me because I know they're I don't think that they're here to to harm us if they wanted to harm us they'd have harmed us long ago I don't know I hear conflicting stories about the Bigfoot um my uh some people are like they're demons and I'm like no and then some people I I, I don't know I, I I definitely hear I have had one I have two personal, I haven't had a personal uh, Bigfoot experience, but my little brother has, and so has like a good friend of mine. And she said that she was in, I don't know, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, or something with a P, maybe just Pennsylvania somewhere. Anyway, some P word up, <laughs> up East. And Probably Pennsylvania, because Pennsylvania is very active. Got, okay, and they were, she was a group of people, they were camping, and... Um, I, I don't know. Anyway, she, she, they had a run in and I remember she said that, uh, the thing that stuck with me is like, she said there was a, 
a, an absolute overwhelming sense of fear. Like she's like, it was, it was almost like an artificially created sense of fear. It was like, just, just washed over them. So, but then my brother, his, they had some fear too, but, um, like Logan says that he thinks it was just, it didn't care about them. It was like a scientist, like picking up, um, uh, you know, pine cones and stuff. So, uh, it's, it's interesting how like everybody's experience is different. So I'd like to hear yours. Have you, so you've, you had well, Bigfoot run-ins? Well, I've had, I've had several, um, we've had rocks thrown at us in the middle of the desert where no one would be. We've found 18 and a half inch footprints, 20 miles from even a path or a trail. We've found, we've found hair samples. Uh, we've heard screams. We've interacted and chatted with them. If you can call it chatting with the Bigfoot, uh, some of the people that originally, Ron Moorhead, who has a book out called Quantum Bigfoot, uh, he and Alan Berry were in the Sierras and the Sierra Sounds was recorded by uh, Ron Moorhead and Alan Berry. At the time, Bobby, Bobby Slate, my fellow researcher, the one that I was introduced to by Stanton Friedman, Bobby, Free Bobby uh, Slate was working on stuff and uh, she was writing a book saying, at that same time with Alan Berry and I heard the Sierra sounds in 1970 and those didn't become really well known until mid 70s or later even so uh, I've, I've now, been are those involved the ones with that it sound, I, are those the ones that kind of sound like Japanese-ish or something that they're like whoa, whoa, yeah. Okay. yeah exactly Good imitation. Yeah, I'll bring you along next time. You can you can talk with it. I can be like, oh, uh, I think yeah. you can interpret. <laughs> yeah, that's like, yeah, that's that's that's, that's the one. We've heard that kind of thing, as well as screeches, screams, uh, yowls, all kinds of hoots, all kinds of different communication, as well as wood knocks, rock throwing etc 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 on into the night and we had one of those experiences we were up north north of Cal north of uh, los angeles in a place called big rock campground and we had been called by the sheriff's department who had been called by a woman who went outside of her little airstream trailer and this thing was head and shoulders over the top of her little airstream trailer which is probably eight to nine feet tall, roughly, I would guess. Yeah. A little Airstream trailer. It was head and shoulders above that thing and it was rocking the Airstream trailer. So she runs out and turns around and looks at it and there it stood doing wow. this. That so we decided we were gonna go up there. We would always go, we, we, had a, we had a hotline hooked up between us and the, well, it was an 800 number, but they had our number at the Sheriff's Department in Palmdale we got the phone call and said, get up there. This woman's having a problem. So we get up there and she was freaked out, got her story. And then we went out to a little campground above that called Big Rock Campground. And it was about three in the morning. And we were kind of getting to the point where, well, we've been here quite some time. We haven't really had any action. We're probably going to head back. All of a sudden, we we're getting rocks thrown at us from way high above. Hmm. There were no, there was nobody out there. This was in the middle of, of the, of the season when no one is camping. So we're, we're all standing around. There were about five of us, I think, 
we were all standing around and and all of a sudden from way across the valley we heard this scream i'm not in good voice or i would imitate it for you but it, it was this incredible stream that sounded like a donkey without the hee-haw if you can get what i'm saying okay kind of this yeah it was it was it was more of a very 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 high-pitched scream but then it was a low scream as well so it went from very high to the extremely low frequency that they use because we feel that they use extremely low frequency to communicate the way elephants and whales do right okay they use that elf so we're like whoa we stayed around for a little while longer and we all decided well let's go down and get some chili at sleazy's we always made sure we had the chili after the bigfoot search (laughs) not before okay so we all took off and i was the last one i was drove like a madman i had a ford courier that i used to race and so i'm coming around this corner my lights are shining out over the valley and as i come around the corner my lights struck this tall creature that was standing beside a bush the bush was five feet tall and it was at least four feet taller than the bush okay because i know because i went back and checked it later okay this when it saw when my lights hit it it tried to jump across a two-lane highway it leaped but i was sliding my my truck slid into it the back end of my, my ford courier hit it and dented the back end of my ford courier Ooh. ford courier was not very strong <laughs> It, that little bed was very, very, very thin metal. It dented it. It jumped down over about a 10 foot bank, ran across a boulder strewn valley with boulders four, five, and six feet in diameter, and straight up the side of a mountain at about a 45 degree angle at a dead run, going over toward Devil's Punch Bowl in the high desert there near Palmdale, uh, Sycamore Flats, all that area. Okay. So it, it so, obviously wasn't that hurt by you hitting it. No, it wasn't hurt. Uh, it, I think it probably scared it. It probably hurt my truck more than it hurt, hurt it. Because the thing was was absolutely huge. I mean, it, I, I have never seen anything, any any kind of man-like creature, gorilla or anything else that was was built the way this thing was. And it actually it actually had there was some, some white on the on the tips of the fur Hmm. that very clearly i'm pretty sure that it was actually white not my lights hitting it that caused that but it literally but basically jumped across a two-lane highway in front of my car so i'll give you the choice it was either bigfoot or it was kareem out jumping two-lane highways in the middle of the desert at 4 a.m in a fursuit whatever you choose to to think it was You take your choice. (laughs) What what do you think Bigfoot is? Like, do you think, are you in the group that's more like, oh, it's a hominin we haven't found yet? Are you in the group that's like, it's an interdimensional alien? Are you in the group that it's like, I kind of feel like they're portal protectors. That's my current one I'm going through, going with. Uh, But I, I don't know. Like, what do you think they are? Well, the Native Americans would agree with you. The Native Americans were told to watch over the Bigfoot because it was keeper of the forest. Mm-hmm. which could mean keeper of the portal, keeper of the forest, whatever. Now, Dorothy Isaac took a picture of a Bigfoot on board a UFO with a little ET 
actually piloting the UFO and the Bigfoot is standing there beside the little ET. The ET told uh, Dorothy that they transport them around the world and maybe other places too, but around the world at least, which might be, might kind of explain why we don't see them all that much between sighting locations. You know, they aren't running through Kansas all the time, although they are, they have been seen in Kansas. They, yeah. they aren't running through Kansas, Nebraska, and, and Colorado on the way to Northern California where there's- I mean, I have walk, heard right? about them in like the Ozarks, um, to parts of Texas, yep. Oklahoma, Arizona. Yep. Louisiana. Every state in the union. We've had the only place that we haven't had a sighting, a sighting is Hawaii. I was gonna say Hawaii. Okay. So every every state has had a sighting of some kind. Uh, even in the states like you wouldn't think that Kansas and Nebraska and Oklahoma and Texas would have Bigfoot, but right. we have sightings all the time reported from those states. I've I've got a family right now that I'm working with in Oklahoma. This guy's a truck driver and he has to be away from home. So he doesn't like leaving his family home alone now because the, the, the ranch where they've lived for 40 years, his family has been there for 40 years or better. They had no interaction with anything strange ever. So just recently, they, they've started losing farm animals. They lost 40 chickens and the little, the little dwarf pygmy goat that he had bought for his wife or his girlfriend actually. And they're like, what the heck, you know, where did these things all go? Well, then they started finding footprints that were 17, 18, all the way down to a smaller, like a child like Sasquatch that was with these larger Sasquatch. So he's literally afraid to, to leave because they've had rocks thrown at the house. These things chatter at the house, scaring the girlfriend, scaring the kids. They bought new chickens. So they bought like 40 new chickens and they didn't buy a new goat yet, but they bought 40 new chickens. Now they'll end up, they end up missing eggs, but they always leave enough eggs for the family. They don't take all of them. They just take, 90% oh, of the eggs, they leave some for the family. So he's really worried about this whole thing. It's, you know, since this thing never, never bothered them for the 40 years prior, now all of a sudden it's coming around. He doesn't know exactly what to do. And they're, they're about to a point where they're going to move because she won't stay there by herself. So what do you think? Do you so, think that they're, do you get mal, like good or bad feelings? Do you get like, it's a benevolent force or a benevolent force, Bigfoot? Overall, benevolence. Uh, there have been times when I thought maybe they were a little upset with the situation, and that maybe they were were being interfered with in the place where they were were at. I just got a story from a, a guy. I think it was on Bigfoot Chronicles. Uh, a guy was was in uh, what state was he in? I'm not even sure he said. But he, he went into the bush and he followed some footprints, kept following them further and further. And he got to an area and he heard a, a scream and looked to his left. And here was a small Sasquatch in a tree, 15 feet or so up in the tree. 
and he'd been following the footprints of a larger Sasquatch that was ahead of him in the bush because he could see the bush moving. This guy, for some unknown reason, and I, I hate this, turned and fired at the Bigfoot in the tree and killed it. It fell out of the tree, right? Oh. Fell out of the tree. And the, the one in the bush stood up, and it was like, he said it had to be at least 10 feet tall, stood up and howled, a forlorn howl. This guy took off running, ran through the bushes and got scratches all over his entire body because he ran through these bushes, got back to the car, got in the car and got out of there. But this thing was trying to follow him. He decided to go back the next day, went back the next day and found a lot of blood where he shot the little one. And it had been dragged for a little ways and then carried over to a wall that went literally vertically straight up hmm. and this large sasquatch had carried this smaller one straight up that wall he said just it looked like it, it, it the way the, the blood was looked like it had practically run up that wall which well, I don't, I i'm not it, surprised i hope it didn't die i hope it actually you know i am afraid it did the way he talked it was a it was a large round and it was a chest hit, so I'm afraid it did. But if, I don't. If there's I, like that why story in the world? By that guy called like Bob Snyder or something, and he was killed like not too long after the story. But like he was in Dolce, New Mexico, and he went into an oh under, yeah, yeah, he went into some underground base with with like. And when you yeah. listen to that story, it's just like like if you take it from the perspective of the aliens or whatever. So apparently they they like break into some underground areas and. They run across some ant people, ant-like type aliens, and uh, they just mow well, them down. And then the, the aliens... story, huh? The full story is that Phil Schneider was working on on building these underground bases, and they were having some trouble with one of the one of the holes. There was some smoke coming out of it, and so he decided he was going to go down there and check it out. He went down with the uh, special forces guy or a marine. Mm -hmm. goes down on this on this lift and when he gets down there he comes upon these these creatures that were unknown to him that he'd never seen before and he freaked out and he apparently well i think i, I think he i don't know if he fired or they fired but but he ended up losing a, a finger or two and they hit him in the chest and it split him open yeah, it's like it like melted his fingers or something. And but yeah, so what I remember the story is more like maybe his friend started it. I don't know, but that it it sounded like you broke into these people's house, then you opened fired on them, and then you were kind of like, yeah, but they made me lose my fingers because. <laughs> but it's just kind of like, what do you expect, man? You just went and I think they said they killed one of them, and oh, it, well, yeah. at least one, and I think. You know, from what it sounds like, there have been a, a, there have been more than one of those encounters. Mm -hmm. What seems, and this is what some of this stuff I've heard from sources that are not exactly able to speak about these things to the public. Okay, right. So I won't go into it very deeply, but what I will tell you is that that there have been a couple or three encounters that I have heard about from friends who are cleared much higher than I am 
And a couple of these encounters have happened and they've happened in places where we were trying to add on to our underground facilities and mistakenly ran into another underground facilities that was not ours. That's the story I'm getting. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I'm from Albuquerque and I, uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, I have, I've from people talking about like other stuff that they found like in the Sandia base or like um, the Kirtland Air Force Base, like some stuff down there. I've also heard, I'm also a flight attendant and I, uh, I also have talked to a bunch of people at the, about the Denver airport and about a lot of stuff that goes on underground at the Denver airport and uh, like I'm, I'm pretty convinced that there's a whole underground tunnel system that runs at least in that, those two states area probably even further in other places but um, well I can add to that there I know it goes to Arizona New Mexico and Nevada and all that stuff but okay yeah, go add to that well, well first let me just say like I'm, I'm pretty convinced that there's a whole world underneath our feet that we don't know about oh I have no doubt uh, just what I know about is, is immense. But we were doing a, Peter Gatilla and I were doing a KFI radio talk show on AM 640 in Los Angeles. It's, a, it's one of the bigger talk, so, talk show stations. It's the one that uh, Art Bell and George Norrie oh. first began their, their thing on KFI. Well, they, they had it on at another station, but KFI carried them. So we were talking uh, on the, on the talk show about UFO and Bigfoot and various things. And a guy came on to talk and he said, well, I was at Point Magoo, which is an, a, a, a naval station uh, above Malibu. If you're going up the coast, it's above Malibu a few miles. And he said, I was called out there to work on air conditioning. I was contracted by the government to work on air conditioning units and repair them and, and all that. And so they said, well, we have some, some units that are quite a ways away and he was cleared. So he said, go into this particular building and, and park your truck in this particular spot and, and we, will, we will get you to the air conditioners. And he goes, oh, okay. So he drives into the building and he parks on a, on a, on a floor that was surrounded by the black and white striped tape, right? Mm. So he knew something was up. Well, this thing starts going down and it goes down. He said he didn't know how many stories it went down, but it went down several stories. And he comes out in this underground tunnel that he can't see the end of from Point Magoo. It goes hitting east, northeast towards Edwards Air Force Base. He said, how far does this thing go? He asked one of the, one of the workers down there. He said, oh, this thing goes all the way to Edwards Air Force Base and beyond. And the guy goes, oh, my God. So he drove X number of miles in this underground tunnel to work on the air conditioning unit that he had to repair. So he, he said he, he drove something like 20 miles or 25 miles, whatever. But it was just going forever. Hmm. And that was just what we heard. And so I hadn't thought much about that for years. But I was with a friend of mine at... at uh, Area 51. I had gone out there to drop off some stuff and I was trying to get out of there. And I couldn't get out of there because they locked us in the cafeteria while they did some tests on the runway. So I'm stuck in the in the darn cafeteria going, let me out of this place. I want to get home, you know. 
so there was a football game that night or something. Anyway, so one of the guys that I'd known for many years from the Naval Undersea Research and Development Center in Pasadena, who also was working as a contractor at Area 51, well, the, the, the Nellis Range is what we call it. Actually, it's not, we don't call it Area 51. So at the, he was at the Nellis Range. He said, do you want to see something really cool? I said, well, yeah. And he said, well, as soon as you get done with this stupid test, I'll take you and show you. He took me on a little golf cart that made a humming sound. <laughs> it sounded like it was run by <laughs> nuclear power or something. Yeah. Oh. Takes, takes me on this little thing, drives me into a hangar that is not very big. It's probably big enough to fit an F-16. And that's about it. Pulls the little cart into the middle of this thing. He said, okay, watch this. And he clicks a little, a little remote control thing that he had. And the darn thing started, the floor started going down. It's like a bat. The floor went down. Huh? Uh, it's the like Batman's thing. cave, like boom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here we are, like on this little golf cart, and I'm going down. I'm looking over to the walls, looking at these screw-like things that are turning and causing this floor to go down. Okay, these things were like two feet in diameter. There must have been 10 or 12 of those things. This thing takes us down, God knows how far. I didn't see any markings as to what floor we were on or anything like that. Takes us down, and finally he stops at what I assume is the bottom, maybe not. And I look to my left. I could not see the end of this stupid thing. It was like being inside the, the largest football stadium you can possibly imagine. Right. underground and i'm looking down and i said oh my god and i won't say his name i almost did i said oh my god where how far does this thing go he said this thing goes farther than i have ever been is I, I don't know how far it goes but i know it goes to edwards air force or air force base it goes to and here's the checker point magoo and i went oh my gosh i heard this story years ago so they are still working on on things at Area 51, and if you know where to look, you can actually find the, the debris, conveyor like the belts. You can see how you can find the conveyor belts. You can find the opening to the tunnel they're working on. You can They take it out, they put it in piles, and then they carry it out in the desert. But if you know where to look right now, I can show you where they're, where they're pulling dirt out, and they're expanding these things enormously. And they put it there at the end of the base, on the west end of the base, and then they carry it off into the desert later. Why do you think, do you think there's like solar flashes or polar shifts or floods coming? Or you think that's just like the best way to hide or you think breakaway civilization or what do you think it's about? A lot of it is uh, COG, continuation of government. Part of it is that because if there is a problem that, that creates such a, such a, a disaster that, that we're losing people that we're afraid that, that the government is going to go under, then continuation of government is why they do these things. That's part of it. Yes. Other part of it is to get things from one point to another secretly. Another part of it is probably that they, that they want to literally just travel, not necessarily secretly, but there's a tube train that I've been on that goes from Edwards Air Force Base to Tehachapi. It's about 60 miles, maybe. Takes about 10 okay. minutes. I've seen 10 diagrams of, um, what's that What's that Air Force base in Fort Worth? 
it's uh you lost me on that one i don't know the fort worth one yeah uh, name me, I, I can name you all the california ones it was basically like from like kirtland air force base in new mexico like apparently there's like an from like basically like albuquerque to fort to dallas there's um there's a big underground like apparently like tunnel um, that I've that that I've heard about, and then yeah, I don't know, but it's just one of those things well, where where it makes you think. Um, this is a dumb thing I think about, but I think about a lot is like sinkholes. I'm like, yeah, they're like making this planet a riddled cheese, Swiss cheese thing. We're gonna have like crazy random Swiss like sinkholes. Well, I think about that too, but. If you if you look at what they use and how they build these things, it would probably support the earth rather than cause a sinkhole because they always put put concrete ribbing on the inside of these things, you know, two or three foot thick concrete ribbing. Right. As they go down with the, the hole bore. And were know, there big these pillars? Were there big pillars like in like that big auditorium that you were? No. Under? No. There were no pillars at all. It's all done with the arches. Oh. Okay. These concrete arches that they put in there. And if you've seen some of the boring machines, it would blow your mind. I mean, it, look, it makes the people standing beside them look like ants. And they, there's even one that I've got a picture of I'll send you that has U.S. Air Force on the side of it. One of the boring machines like with Elon Air Force personnel. Okay. Yeah. yeah, so they're using, they're, they've got their own. And I know they've done a lot of work out at Edwards. They, I haven't been under. I haven't been down underneath Edwards Air Force Base. I've been there a lot, but I've got I've got friends that work out there at Computer Sciences Corporation and other other places out there. NASA's out there too. They said that it goes down 37 stories under Edwards Air Force Base. Wow. So, and that's what they say. Stories. That's yeah. Yeah. Figure 370 feet or better. Yeah, that's a bit of a ways, and it makes you go like, "Well, where's the water table? Like, how far down does this go?" Like, you know, it, uh, I always when you start looking into it, it's like we have publicly we haven't explored um, down as much as uh, you think. When you start looking at like the deepest holes and stuff like that, you're like, uh, I don't know. There's a, there's a lot to work with uh, underground. So that so that so that's where I think. That's where I think is a very likely hiding place for a lot of these UFOs and places and things. I think. Well, there's so many, there's so many cavities that we haven't discovered that are that are connected to caves like Mammoth and other right. caves. They've connected two caves now that that makes Mammoth huge. There's so much underground that we don't know about yet. You know, although I have to say, the government knows more than we do. Oh yeah. Yeah. They know there's stuff there. So that's one of the reasons that they, they're so secretive about their underground work. And I know that there, there are other things, like, for instance, there are semi-truck drivers that I have talked to that have driven underground on underground highways. There's even a documentary out where uh, one, one, of the, one of the guys uh, talks with one of the truckers who's about to enter one of these underground railroad rail, uh, underground roadway systems and they talk for a minute about where this guy's going and he's going to some distant place underground and they're running underground on these underground roadways that they're already in place so 
they're out there. We just don't know about that, them. You, know? you, would, you would think it would just be easier to do like the underground trains, like, you know, the f fast speed, fast speed trains instead of like a road where you drive your vehicle. Um, yeah. I, I saw some video of um, the bore, like one of the tunnels dug out by the boring machine. Like they have like a road. I can't remember where, where it is, but there was a traffic jam in it. Uh, I mean, like I know oh, it's no. in California, but it, I just kind of was like, man, that would suck because it's very claustrophobic. There's not a lot of oh. room on the side. Oh, I've heard stories about things happening under underground tunnels. And the, some of those are not public knowledge, but there have been some things that have happened. People have died in underground situations because they couldn't get out because the smoke was, was so uh, terrible yeah. underground. They didn't have the proper ventilation systems back in the early day, you know, when this was going on. Yeah, but I, you know, we need to. There, there are a couple of things we talked a little bit about Dorothy Isaac, uh -huh. and I don't know if you finished up on that. If you wanted, to, if you had any more questions about Dorothy, well, I mean, I just I would love to see more of her footage. So if I, if there's anything I can do to help you with, like whatever you got to do with that, you let me know because I could totally come help you edit that. Like I said, just pop on up here from Dallas, and I'll put you to work. Okay, good. That, like, I think that that is really important. Like, her stuff was just, when I saw it, um, it really amazed me. It reminded me of my friend Patricia Advant, who I did a, a show with, and I'll send you some of her stuff. And, right. um, yeah, I mean, it seems like something I, yeah, I, I don't know. And then, like, with, with the UFO, so, okay, it's almost like everything, we're talking about three different phenomenon, but really they're all could be intertwined and we don't know i think so i think so i really do i think that the light beings who are according to dorothy and according to what i'm able to i don't know i don't know about you but i'm pretty intuitive and i i get a lot of information that i don't share often but i get stuff all the time uh feelings and sensations and and this and that and i i kind of know I know what to do if I if I if I do something against my gut feeling it's a disaster yeah literally a disaster I mean I feel things much more than most do I really do and I, I get these I get these feelings ongoing on projects I'm working on and on about people about things the whole nine yards but my intuition about the, the light beings that they are here doing what Dorothy has said they're doing they're watching over us. They don't intervene. They do watch over us, though. And if they have a way of intervening non-obtrusively, they will do so. But as a general rule, they just watch what we do and try to influence us to go in the right direction without obtrusively influencing us. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So they try, they, they, they try to give information to people like you, people like me, Peter, like, like Peter Gatilla, like other people who are, are sensitive and try to get us to take the world in the direction that they know what should go. Because they have all the answers. We don't have except what we see in front of our nose, you know? Yeah. So they're trying to get us to move to a higher frequency. 
Yeah, that's definitely, I think that's like a theme that comes up time and time and time again. And um, I like my very, very, very first podcast that I ever, or whatever YouTube video that I ever did. Um, I actually started because I had like this weird visitation by these four light balls. They were like basketballs of light, like blue light. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh. And they like talked to me uh, te uh, telepathically. Like one would come up to me and it would just like give me all these images and like a movie in my head. And then the other one would go away and then the other one would come up and they looked like basketballs and then they elongated to like watermelons and they were just, they were just like sheer electric balls of light. Like, like, but, um, uh, and you could see like a silhouette of like some sort of like bald, like there was no features. There was just like a silhouette of like a head and some shoulders in, inside the light, but that's it. Like there was no features on it. Um, and that was only when it became a watermelon. When it was a basketball, it was just like, and they, it, what happened to me was I was in India and I was dead asleep. I was, it was in the middle of the night, like three or four in the morning. And it felt like I had do dove like down deep underneath water and my ears were like needing to be popped really bad. And like the pressure in my ears like hurt so bad that it woke me up. And then, whoa, and I couldn't get rid of the pressure and I sat up in my bed and then they just came in through the window. And I had a friend who was next to me and like, a, uh, she was in another twin bed next to me. And I was like, um, Amy, Amy, wake up. And uh they kind of like paralyzed me to where I couldn't actually scream anymore uh, and she didn't wake up and then that's when they started talking to me or whatever and I I de like what I they don't speak English you know exactly so it was or at least to me it wasn't like it was I don't know like you you understand what they're saying but it's not English like telepathy is really it's really difficult to know timeline and to know, like, um, it's not like, hi, how are you? Oh, I am good. It, how are you? Oh, I, it, you know, there's not like that back and forth interchange as much. So it's, it's kind of just like everything all at once. And you're, you're kind well, of having a hard time figuring out how to wait. How do I organize this? Um, you're preaching to the choir. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, <laughs> so, yeah. one of the themes was, um, you know, one of the themes was like they that um, uh, like it was a whole thing, but like d d raising people's you have to people need to raise their vibration. They have to rate like they can't see you when you're in a low state. You have to um, like like you literally have to find ways to raise your vibration. Well, and if you if, if you don't, you can never see them either. You can't get to a point where you're going to be able to communicate. And I'm sure that having interacted with Dorothy the way that we did, that in itself raised my vibration. Although I was, I was working at doing it anyway, because I, I felt that I needed to do that. And I could feel my vibration getting higher in, in certain foods I, I couldn't eat anymore. Yeah. I wanted other foods more than those foods and it's it's gotten a lot stronger since then i mean i i literally i can almost be a breatharian that's now. i would I love mean, to get to breatharian status i mean I, <laughs> I haven't eaten meat in like 15 years and like like people go into the health thing or this or that and i'm just like well for me it's like literally if i put a piece of meat in my mouth i can feel 
what the animal, I can feel like what the animal went through and like, I can't like, like it's like, I just can't, uh, that I have some sort of connection with the, the animal and I have, I just can't let go of it. So I'm like, Oh, I'm just, it's just easier for me if I just don't eat it. Like, well, I can relate to that because that's kind of the feeling I have. I don't, it's not, it's not as strong as yours. Maybe, maybe I haven't connected with that part of me, but on the other end of the scale, I'm able to lean back and meditate and literally draw my orb to me that I can photograph when it's here. I can't see it, but I can photograph it and it's, it's around me all the time. So uh, the story you told about the light beings, I'm calling them light beings. Okay. Yeah. That came, that came to you. That is so much like what Dorothy was experiencing all the time. And I've experienced the same thing. And so has Peter. And we see these things in their physical form in the skies around us all the time now. Yeah. I think you should go out and start photographing. I think you'd see. You I, have the I same definitely. Thing. I, I see UFOs. I see shooting stars. Like I, when I went to Marfa, I saw Marfa lights. Like I've, dude, like I see fair. I've, I've seen so much stuff. It's crazy. Like it's not, it's not weird to me anymore. I'm just kind of like expect it basically. But, um, oh, but one thing that I think is kind of interesting that I think, I think about like this might be going on with Bigfoot is okay. This happened probably around this time, maybe March of last year, me and my niece, she was eight at the time. We were, um, walking in like, just like this really wooded park in my, in, like the Dallas area. And I heard, it sounded like a squirrel was like, you know, messing around, jumping in some leaves. And like, I look over and there's like a, a little man, he's like a foot tall. He's like a little elf or gnome. <laughs> I don't really know. Um, and <laughs> I stop my niece and I'm like, <gasps> and she's, she stops and I'm like, Virginia, what do you see? What do you see right there? And she's like, um, I see a little man with a hat and a broom. And I was like, cause that's exactly what I was seeing. And I was like, what, is, what, what is he wearing? And she's like, I don't, I don't know. He's just wearing clothes and his, and I'm like, yeah. And he does. And like, so like, so she's like, hi and i'm like hi and i'm like okay don't get close you're gonna scare him he wouldn't look over at us but like as soon as we started talking to him he just was dead dead silent then we crouched down so we're not very far from him maybe six feet from him so oh my we're, gosh. On, we're on the sidewalk he's like a couple feet off the sidewalk so no one no other humans are around just me and her we're crouching down and i'm going okay like like, let's just talk to him, but like, don't, don't make any subtle movements. Like, let's not scare him. And I was just like, um, Hey, we're not going to hurt you. Like, what are, uh, uh, just, you know, I didn't really know what exactly what to say. And I'm not <laughs> even sure he could hear us. Like, I think he knew something was around, but he couldn't exactly hear us. And then he would, he had this broom or I don't even know if it was a broom, but it was basically a stick with like, this white cotton ball thing at the end of it. And he was sweeping around. He was like moving leaves around. He was clearing an area for himself. And so I think he thought we were gone or something. I, I don't know, because he never looked directly at us. And um, he would sweep and he was going in and out of visibility. Like he would go, it was almost like the movie Predator, how the Predator had like that invisibility cloak where he would just... Yeah, right. 
So like you could you could see almost when he turned on the invisibility cloak or maybe it was like some thin veil in that area we were at. I don't really know what was going on. I think it was. It it really only lasted for probably about like 2 or 3 minutes and um as soon as like I stood up, he went invisible and then like we stopped, we started to cr crouch down again like tried to move like like a foot closer and he never came visible again. Like I think he was in still that area. Like I didn't see him. We didn't. We never saw him run off. We just saw him like once. Like once his the visibility was fading out. He just he was invisible to us. He was just you know, and uh, you know my niece was just kind of like that's cool, ha ha la 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 la. And I'm just going like yeah, huh, okay. Well, I, I'll bet you were in an area that was very thinly veiled at the time. You must have been close to some kind of a vortex or something. I can tell you something that I that I work with that will maybe kind of shed some light on that. Uh, not, oh, I guess it was wow, had to be in the '90s. I was working with the with the uh, footage and all that that I had done before, and, and I I kind of learned some things about frequencies, mm -hmm. and there was some discussion about how to move in and out of dimensions travel interdimensionally and I started thinking about that I thought well that's very interesting and extremely low frequencies have been shown to cause apparition like visions okay if you if, if you're if you're working around uh, for instance some of these air conditioning units in these buildings will will they'll start off and they'll go a very very low frequency like five and power this, lines maybe or something? Or... Well, I know this particular thing was because of the motor would, would go to a low and it would vibrate and it would try to start and it was, it was trying to start, it was very low. So this scientist in his lab was having these experiences seeing what he thought might be ghosts. And he thought, this is really strange. I don't believe in ghosts. What is going on? So he began looking into this and he found, he discovered that whenever this extremely low frequency with this air conditioner would happen, he would start watching and he would definitely see things that he ordinarily would not see. So he went, wow, I've got to work with this. So he, he started working with extremely low frequency. Well, he began doing that and I started reading some of his stuff and looking at his material. And I said, well, look, why if it's, if it's interdimensional and we're trying to figure out how to go interdimensionally why does it have to be just extremely low frequency? Why couldn't it be any frequency yeah. that would break through? So I, I have a, a large, I have large guitar amplifiers and PA systems and stuff because of my music. Mm -hmm. And so I said, let's do this. Let's, I'm going to get a frequency generator, a lab quality frequency generator with the stereo crossover, which I hooked up and built myself. And we're going to put this together and we're going to take it out into an area where we know there have been, has been activity and we're going to try it out. So I put this thing together, tried it around the house and, and didn't have a whole lot of, a lot of luck, but I have, I could go any frequency I want and I can broadcast it through this speaker. Okay. Yeah. You can also utilize this frequency without having it on a speaker. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to, it doesn't have to be audible. Okay. Okay. It can be inaudible, and the frequency will still con will still cause the reaction to the general area that it does without being through a speaker. 
Okay, so we thought, well, let's, let's use the speaker because it will allow us to work with it better. So we took it out and for the first time we went out, turned the speaker on and I looked for a frequency that was, was good. And we took a bunch of control shots of the area, didn't get anything. Then we, we turned, the, I hadn't had the speaker on at that point. I, I think I misspoke, we didn't turn it on. I didn't have it on. Then we said, okay, let's turn it on and see what we get. So I turned it on and took pictures exactly where we had taken the control shots and we got amazing stuff. You would not believe what we got. We got one that looks like the planet Mars, about a two foot diameter orb casting a shadow on the ground that we could not see before we turned the machine on. Ooh, that's interesting, yeah. And we, we couldn't have seen it with our, just the naked eye either. It had to be on digital camera. So we used the digital camera and the machine to broadcast whatever frequency we're working with at that particular time. We've tried different ones, but the one I found the very first night's the best one. We got orbs in the sky and there was no, there was no moisture. There was no dust. There was no, you know, nothing in the, in the, in the, in the sky, in the air that would have caused these orbs. Like everybody's always hitting me up about, oh, it must be, that must be the flash reflecting off of dust or it must be moisture in the air or it must be insects in the air that right. is causing the orbs. No, I'm sorry. You know, you, you, don't, you don't get that when you do control shots, for, first of all. And right. second of all, you don't always see that stuff. You rarely see it. But when we turn the machine on, and we start photographing, I get incredible orbs. I get incredible things. We got one light that looked like about a 5 million candle power light shining through the bushes, nothing there to cause it. We, we debunked all night long. We could not find anything that could reflect that, nothing that could have caused that. So I, here's the light on one side of the tree and here's the, the Mars-like orb on the other side, casting a shadow on the ground. Well, one thing I know about my, I've also, I had a thing with a unicorn, but I was at a norm. I was at a known portal and I've told that story on my podcast quite a bit, but yeah, like I, I, a unicorn, like I had other people there. I wasn't the only one who saw it. Um, and then, um, uh, like, and I've, I've had some fairy experiences and I think like people are going to take a picture with your cell phone, blah, blah, blah. Guess what? Every single time any of this has ever happened to me, I didn't have my cell phone on me. Like, um, I think that, uh, I think that that is part of it too. I, I kind of feel like your frequency, I do feel like it, it's like a, whenever this, any of these things have happened to me, I've been vibing really high. I've been like super right. in nature, like happy, like with the kid, with friends, like, you know, just like, like, you know, frolicking kind of mood. And then, right. That's the kind of thing. And, and I, I'm intentionally do, um, I try to, uh, you know, like, like I, like I intentionally, especially when I'm in nature, try to have no outside frequent, no, I don't want my phone next to it. I don't want my phone on me. It doesn't matter if it's turned off or I don't want it on me. I want to just be like disconnected, but connected to earth. Like, and I think that 
that might could also be um something with the frequencies too like i, I do think yeah I, I think you're right because even even when we go out i don't want to be i don't want to sound freaky here but when you want to communicate with something you don't want any distractions so when we go out on any kind of a Bigfoot hunt, and I call it hunt because it's the best word really probably for it. When we go out looking for Bigfoot sign and want to have some kind of communication, we don't have cell phones, we don't have guns, we don't have any kind of radio or anything else because we have found that it seems to interfere with our ability to have some kind of connection with the creature or with yeah. the humanoid whatever you want to call it that's definitely happened with me with um with a lot of my ufo experiences um like i've done a bunch of those ce5s and like i'm pretty successful with those but um uh i feel like it's for you and it's not for to be shared with the public like other other or, or, or at least when you when you're intentionally trying to connect with something like um yeah i don't I don't know for it, it doesn't work when you have your cell phone on you it just doesn't like um and i well, and i also am at a point in life where i don't care if you believe me or not like this isn't <laughs> you know i don't care what your beliefs are whether these things exist or don't like i'm not trying to prove to anybody what's out there or not like i'm trying to go i i'm convinced something's out there like my my um now i'm i'm on to i'm already on plan b or plan to i like i'm i'm already like i'm past whether they exist or not okay if you're still playing in that game right have fun there's yeah. plenty of other things you can research and plenty of other things you could do i'm more in the uh okay well like wait like what 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 are they what works like well, like what are the little tweaks that you can get from other people who've experienced things and like what did you do how did you achieve this how did you achieve that like what do you think's going on like you know i'm in that realm well and and what is it that we can learn from them exactly why are we why experience us? any of this like that yeah i mean if they're capable of doing the things that that i'm pretty sure they're capable of doing we need to learn from them not the other way around. I mean, we need to figure out what they're doing and how they're how they're ascending, how they're going interdimensionally, mm -hmm. because that's where we're supposed to go. I think. Yeah, I mean, that I would think be we're supposed like, to end up there. Our good evolutionary timeline, um, but I do kind of feel like we're, uh, you know, I definitely I have heard it and I've seen it in my own like visions is just like i do think there's gonna be a split in humanity and there's gonna be like some people are gonna go different places right or, or not even just like like uh not like just a good bad thing i'm saying like some people are literally on a kind of like a transhumanism like uh connecting to some kind of like ai on a higher plane a, a hive mind thing and i'm I'm like not in that realm. I'm like a more. I'm going to be more in okay. the shamanic realm, like the you know the like uh, enacting my own innate like um, psychic abilities kind of realm. That's kind of where I'm at. I've I, I, for a long time I've been of the mind. I don't really care if they believe me or not. Yeah. I have experienced so much 
that I can't, I mean, it would take us hours to talk through all I've experienced. I mean, I can tell you're the same way. You've experienced so much and you just know it's there. You know what exists. Mm -hmm. And then after talking with Dorothy Isaac for so long, knowing that she experienced all of this and seeing what I'm experiencing now that she experienced, there's no doubt in my mind that we're on a track to a higher frequency for the entirety of humanity. That's where we're supposed to go. Everything I, can, everything I can do to try to get people to realize that they've got to get out of, of this negative attitude they're in. I mean, look at the earth right now. My God. We no, are people in, are, we are, people in are addicted mud. to the fear porn. They really are. And it's just, uh, it's not going to do you, serve you any good. We're, I mean, the more negative we get, the more negative things are, then the more negative in turn people act to see yeah. people acting and just driving us down it's like we have lead weights attached to our feet in the river you know they're, they're they've they've tossed us in with the lead weights on they're dragging us down we've got to get over that i don't know exactly how i can do it alone but we've got to get people we onto do. a higher and, plane and, you know, it's interesting because like i i uh talked to a friend tonight uh his name's like dan stevens and he was saying to me like he made a really good analogy, but you know, I think it's kind of like, it's like if you're like a normal, healthy, strong person and it's, it's like you went into a, a Holocaust camp or something, you know, you went into a, um, Auschwitz camp, like, a, you know, like where they're all starving to death and they're just barely alive. It's like, yeah, sure. You could beat anybody up. You, any man, if I was, like, you could beat anybody up in that thing. He's like, so it's, it's not, it's like you kind of, so like the analogy of that is like, you're gonna, you, you have to realize that from what external forces, I don't know, or from what, or what, if it is just our own nature or what, but we humans have, are on this really, um, they are really, really addicted to, if it bleeds, it leads. Um, they're addicted to j just being controlled and they're 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 beat down they're programmed they're controlled they're they're very much um you, you know in this like slavery money system which is you know like you you like this hand-to-mouth like thing where they're stressed there's high levels of constant stress with it with humanity all the time oh yeah you know, oh, and, yeah. and, and it doesn't matter what line you sit politically. It doesn't matter what line you sit like medically. It doesn't, it, none, none, what, what it is, like when you look at the system as a whole, everything is conducive to kind of like not doing what you love, like just do what you got to do to get by, just, just do what you got to do to keep your head above water. Like that's a very big theme. And then, and, and there's also a very big thing of like, yeah, mm, things are kind of horrible. Things are kind of bad. It's pretty bad. And so when you, where your energy, go, where your focus goes, your energy flows, you know, and that's, that is what's going on is we're, we're having to combat that. And what's really happening is like, we need to just have compassion for the fact that we're we're basically dealing with PTSD, like a giant society of PTSD. I I totally agree, and there's there's got to be a way to get us out of that, and I do that every day on Twitter, 
and everybody I talk with, I try to bring them to a, to a higher level. I try to stay more positive around everyone. Whenever I'm around anyone, I try to stay positive and to try to bring them to a better place. Every time I talk with someone, and if I can, if you learn anything at all from Dorothy Isaac, the light beings want us to be on that higher plane and to allow themselves to be seen by myself and by Peter and by others. That allows us to know there is something more there. I think even Sasquatch and Bigfoot have something to do with all that. I, I think that that just believing that there is something that amazing on the planet that no one believes in right. helps to raise our our vibration. You know, you have to be able to believe in something. And so yeah, many people I, mean, I know, my like, God. This reality is not all there is and there's the possibilities can be endless. So that's exciting. Well, that and that's where that's where I work all the time. I've got to send you some pictures of some of the stuff that I do with my my frequency stuff. Oh, and please, more, yeah. I'll send you more Dorothy Isaac stuff. You can put it online, whatever you want to do with it. And then we'll work together to figure out when we can release the, the rest of it. So I'll send you stuff that that maybe has been released, but not not all people have seen. And then I'll continue to work on the new stuff and send you some of that. And then we'll release it all at once when we get done with the, the digitalization. That sounds awesome. All right. Okay. Is there anything else that I didn't, that we didn't cover that you kind of want to touch on? No, I think we kind of, I mean, we kind of ran down my history with Stanton Friedman, Alan Hynek. Uh, I worked a little bit with Alan when he was wrapping up Blue Book. Uh, we both believe that there is so much more out there that we haven't seen yet. And I think that all of this stuff that we're seeing now ties in with the stuff that, that we all did early on. And when we started working on this, I was, I, I, I was in high school in 1965 when I started getting into UFO stuff and, and learning about Bigfoot and all that. And we didn't know anything about it then. But after I met Alan, I went over to the Delphos, Kansas uh, site where the, the uh, UFO landed in the pig pen. And I picked up soil samples for Alan. I've still got those soil samples and they still, water still runs off of the, of the dirt. It will not absorb water. And that wow. was in 1973, I think it was. Yeah, I wonder if you, have you ever, have you stuck like a um, EMF reader or like a, you know, a, yeah, like an electromagnetic reader over it to see like what the, I've done some work with with my what I do with my frequency, and when I whenever I run my I have a I, I build a gold detector. Okay, the gold detector I use, and it'll show you what frequency will do. Like a metal detector, but a gold detector. Like it's, it's a like a metal detector, only gold only. Oh, okay. Well, it'll detect it'll detect whatever frequency I set the machine at. It'll detect whatever I'm looking for. I can detect gold, copper geodes quartz whatever i want so i set it at 5.7 kilohertz and that is what activates the gold at whatever distance the gold may be so i can have gold that's five miles away and my machine will detect it that's i know that's hard to believe but that's the truth of course you don't want to work five miles away so you work in a circle 
of say 30 feet or so. Right. And you locate all the gold within 30 feet. And then you dig that. I can tell you how deep the gold is, how big the gold is, how far away from me the gold is, all of that with my machine. So what, do you go digging uh, like around beaches or something with that? Or I, I usually go to uh, streams, mountain streams and, and places where there's okay, a, a so chance of like, finding nuggets. You're like a gold panning cheater. <laughs> well, but I have all, I have like, I must have $15,000 worth of gold mining equipment. I've got sluices and dredges and spiral wheels and, and gold detectors and you name it, I've got it. And yeah, I I've done, I've done some gold much. panning. I've never found any gold. I, I, I just, my fingers will be so frozen, like sifting through that thing and stuff. I, but I'm, I'm a rock collector. I'm a big digger. I go dig crystals. I look for fossils. Like I'm into agate. Like I, I'm, I wow. love shark teeth. Like, like I, um, I got a ton of arrowheads. Like I'm all about like, I'm di I like, I'm, I'm a digger. <laughs> well, you'll have to go with us sometime when we go to yeah, Colorado. Yeah, I totally love to learn Because when you sluice, I've got like a five foot long sluice box by about a foot wide. And I've got a, a five horsepower motor and a, a hose that's four inches in diameter that you stick into the water and it sucks sand out of the, out of the stream. It runs it over my sluice box and all of the light stuff goes off and all of the heavy stuff is, is caught. So it catches all the black sand and all the gold and all the, all the BBs and lead and all that gets caught in my sluice box. And if you try to, to just pan, you're going to be at it forever. But, but if when, you, when you sluice and dredge, that's the way to find gold because you can go through so much more material. You got to go through two or three tons of material to find your gold. You know, you just got to do that. So right. you've got to come sometime when we're actually working on it working in the sluice and you'll see what I mean. Yeah. Okay. You let me know. Cause I'm going to be there. I'm all about that. And like, that's, a well, sluice. you're not that far away from me. You know, you're, no, I'm not that like, bad. I can you're get close. Well, we'll have to get together and I want to do this again with you. Yeah, for uh, sure. We'll and, have uh, to figure out, figure out what we're going to talk about and, and maybe you can outline now that you know more about what I've done. Well, maybe we can, we can kind of settle on some things that we should, should discuss. We can talk about frequency. We can talk about gold. We can talk about aliens. Yeah, I want to talk about you your Rife machine and all of, all your experience that you've done with all that. So, like, we have, oh we God, have another conversation so coming up. It's going to be awesome. There is so much. There is so much. We have, I know. We have, this is awesome. When I do that KCMO, uh, I do uh, 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 Wendy's Coffee House on KCMO. She has a coffee house that she does for two or three hours every day. And she'll get me on there. I went on one time just to go on for one time, right? At the end, I mentioned something. She goes, oh, great. Now we have to do another show because you just opened another, another box, right? <laughs> so we did that show. And I, at the end of the show, I mentioned something else. She goes, oh, great. Now we have to do another show. <laughs> so we ended up doing about six or seven shows all together. And we still do them. But, you know, it's, it's like there's always something more that we can get into. For sure. For sure. All right. All right, Terry, well, it was so, really nice talking to you, and we will talk again very soon. Now, wait, let me ask you the, a question first. Do you have both of your legs? Got both of them. I didn't talk either one of them off. <laughs> no, I loved it. I loved every bit of it. So, All right, then, kiddo. Okay, bye-bye.